Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. Thank you for listening and welcome to episode 22 of the Channel Journeys podcast, sponsored by my company, Channel Journeys Consulting. This is Rob Spee. I'm the host and founder of Channel Journeys Consulting, where I'm helping SaaS companies accelerate growth and create really powerful partner ecosystems. Last month, I attended the Channel Partners Conference, where I met today's guest, who is the co-founder of a very interesting company. They're actually ranked one of the fastest growing private companies. They're number 68 on the Inc. 5000. Ryan Walsh is the chief channel officer of PAX8. PAX8 is a born-in-the-cloud distribution company built for MSPs, led by serial entrepreneur John Street. Ryan and I talk about the role of distribution in this cloud world, and Ryan shares what's so different about PAX8 and their cloud marketplace. This is an awesome episode for any cloud or SaaS vendor, as well as any partners looking to build a managed services business. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Ryan Walsh, welcome to Channel Journeys. Great to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Rob. It's a pleasure. Likewise, we had a chance to meet just recently out at the Channel Expo. Really enjoyed chatting with you and fantastic that you can join me on the program. Well, this is fun. I like this format, especially talking about what's going on in the industry and you know, as a newer player, you know, we're out here learning and, and trying to take advantage of that learning. So we, we, we definitely share that. Excellent. Well, I think you are in a very hot space with a very hot product that you're offering, a service that you're offering, and we're going to dive all into that. Where are we talking to you today? Where do we reach you? Well, actually, we're based in Denver, Colorado PAX 8 is, but I'm actually coming to you from Bethesda, oh, really? Maryland. There's an association event out here by a group called ASCII. Yeah. So we're talking to partners, managed service providers attend these events. It's a great community. One of the oldest. Excellent. Excellent. I've never been to that community or show, but I've heard a lot about it. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it really embodies the IT industry desire and benefit of sharing with each other. So MSPs come in the region, you know, it's a regional show. So usually people within, a, you know, maybe up to a hundred miles will come to these events. They're pretty quick hitters. You know, you're in and out in two days. There's a lot of great content and a lot of best practices shared with them. And that's why we're here too, because we learn a lot about what we're doing that's working or new ideas, you know, to help us, you know, fine tuning what we're doing. Excellent. It sounds a bit like the Channel Pro SMB events. They have those regional two-day events. Absolutely. Same thing, you know, just really, you know, those events that allow partners to talk to each other and share what's working, what's not, it, it just, it can be incredibly valuable. Excellent. So you are the chief channel officer for PAX 8. Yes. And let me ask, do you report to the CEO? I do. Okay. So you are considered a chief officer at the same level and, and respect as, let's say, a chief marketing officer, a chief revenue officer? Yes, that's right. With the most ambiguous title. So <laughs> I <think that> <laughs> Well, the reason I ask, Ryan, is I have a theory that we are going to see a lot more chief channel officers coming down the line. And one of the things that's going to drive that is channel automation, just like Salesforce CRM automation helped drive the sales VP to CRO. And we saw marketing automation provide data and help drive the VP of marketing up to a chief marketing officer. 
But today, I looked in LinkedIn, I could only find 18 chief channel officers. Is that right? Oh, I'm honored. Yes, you are. An- <laughs> <Or I shouldn't- laughs> you're a, in- no, nobody will know what I am. You're, you're <laughs> in an elite group there, Ryan. <laughs> so why don't we start? Tell us about Pax8. You guys got started back in, what, 2012. That's right. Tell us about what you guys are doing and maybe what was that was that original vision that you had, what problems you were solving. Yeah, I think that's a part of our story I'd love to tell in terms of what we are. So we, we describe ourselves as a born-in-the-cloud distributor mm-hmm. and translated meaning we only, well, we help partners take advantage of this massive opportunity with cloud products and, and the fact that the market wants to buy them. And so the value add that we focus on is how do you actually get those products into your service as a channel partner and how do you start taking advantage of that? But the root of it, where, where it came to be, was many of us, our, our CEO, John Street, is a serial entrepreneur. We just hit 500's uh, number 68 fastest growing companies. He's been on that list, well, five times. Wow. So and he, we think he's unique in that regard because of that. But you know, what, it, what it means is that he, when he spots an opportunity, you know, he, he takes advantage of it. And it has been around IT cloud and channel and SMB. And so before PAX 8, John and I worked together at a company called MX Logic. It was a born in the cloud email security service. And with that business, we focused on uh, channel partners to help, uh, you know, sell the last mile to the customer. And along the way, some of those partners said, well, hey, you need to get on the line card of these traditional distributors, you know, Ingram Micro, Tech Data, Cynix, and a number of others. We said, okay, we'll do that. And so we did that. And it was that experience. We're like, okay, these guys have access to a lot of partners, but, and they're really good at pick, pack and ship. But when it comes to handling cloud business, things were broken Mm -hmm. and it it wasn't going well. And you could see that they were just encumbered by this legacy process. And so that whole experience was the seed behind PAX 8, where we concluded there's got to be a better way. We believe, we truly believe distribution isn't dead if you do it the right way for the cloud. Because many people were saying, hey, you know what's going to happen? You don't even need distribution for cloud. You, it, you know, People will just buy from marketplaces. In fact, it'll disintermediate the channel. Mm-hmm. So a lot of businesses will go out of business. And from our own experience with MX Logic, we saw, no, there is an avenue of value that can, be, that can help a partner who's trying to take advantage of the cloud. But you have to think differently. And that really is why we came to be. And when you think about it from our view, what it meant, you know, the core piece of that value add or what what are you leaning on? Well, one of those things was you had to build a cloud marketplace. You had to have a technology that could help a channel partner sell multiple cloud products quickly, fast. You know, the way that the market wanted to consume it, which is today, it's like, hey, put in your credentials and put in your information, buy it, and then have your credentials sent to you instantly. You're not going to wait days. You're going to want it in minutes. And you need to think that way. But um, that was just kind of like the starting point to have the cloud marketplace. You also had to have pre and post sales support. So unlike on-prem technology where you just, I buy it, I ship it, then you do whatever you want with it. For the cloud, there's a journey. And that journey has a pre-sales component to it. You know, tell me what this thing does. Okay, I like it. Give me a price. Okay, I'll order it. But from there is really where it keeps going. It's 
automatically deliver it automatically. Like give me the credentials right away. I'm not waiting for something to get shipped to me. Quick onboard, support it, and then bill it. And so you really have to be able to support every piece of that journey to be successful at the cloud. And so Pax8 built all of our services around that. And so, you know, we want to be the world's favorite place to buy cloud products. So we're, we're constantly tuning how we make that easy. Ryan, you mentioned your experience with distributors, and I've had that same experience trying to use their cloud services. Ingram developed a cloud service. TechData developed a cloud service. What are you doing differently that they're not doing? You know, what, how did you make it so much easier for the partners and the vendors? Yeah, this is a great question. And one that I'll tell you, I, the analogy I'll use as I set up my answer to you is we, it came about because I was on a panel with these other distributors and we were all talking about our cloud marketplace. And I had somebody that I knew in the crowd that said to me, Hey, I know you're really different than these guys, but you all sound alike. Mm -hmm. And I was distraught. I was like, Oh my God, I'm not doing a good <laughs> job. What are we doing? With it? it sounds the same. It couldn't be more different. Yeah. And so I went to bed, you know, bad night sleep, but I woke up with an aha moment. And I was like, I get it. This would be the same reaction if somebody put yellow cab and Uber on the same panel. And Yellow Cab said, yeah, you can hail my cabs with an application. And yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's the way we think that's differently, which is why if, you know, when you at the 10,000 foot level, you might say, yeah, they both sound the same. It's a cloud marketplace, but what does it do different? And, and when you peel that onion back, that's when it really, the differences shine. And I'll, and I'll tell you this, because when we started PAX-8, we didn't know whether we didn't think we had to build anything. We thought, well, it's our knowledge about how to help the channel that, that's really valuable here. So if somebody built a cloud marketplace, we'll go ahead and use it and pay them a little bit for it. And so we looked around and we thought, you know, either it's outdated or it's not perfectly built to some of the things we want to do, or what if we wanted to do more with it than we see? We would have to convince somebody else to do that. And so that led us to, you know, hire our own engineers and build it ourselves. And so what you see now what makes it special is how we're evolving it to meet the needs of the channel. And a great example of that right now is, one, you'll see the user interface. If you had a demo of it, I think we have some stuff out there on YouTube. You would see that it's really you know, designed to be a real easy, simple checkout, you know, cart checkout experience, yeah. you know, something that a lot of people have experienced. So it's not going to look like something old. It's going to look like something new. So it's look and feel is really designed to be different. But one of the ways that we're modifying it, enhancing it is we're trying to simplify the journey. So anytime we hear about a rub point, it takes too long to do something. There's three clicks when I only want one. We're constantly looking at refining that. And so one other example of difference around this front is a lot of our partners use business applications to run their business, almost like a combination of a CRM and an ERP. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and for MSPs, that's a professional service automation application. So you're talking about ConnectWise, Autotask, Synchro, Kaseya, TigerPaw. Right. And so our partners were saying, yeah, I love your cloud marketplace. It turns on cloud products really well. It simplifies the pricing and the rate planning and helps me figure out what my margin is. I love all of that but I bill out of this other thing. So I don't want to bill out of you. I want you to take all that order transaction detail and, you know, integrate it into these other tools. Yeah. So we're like, okay. So that's an example. We created what we believe are the, you know, the most seamless integrations into all these other PSA tools 
for the purpose of making it really easy to continue that journey into the billing. So if they didn't want to use us for the billing and they were using these applications, then, okay, we'll send you all the cloud transaction detail into your PSA tool so it's easy for you to do what you do and, you know, bill your customer. And so that's an example where we really focused a lot of time and attention to make that better. Another example where the difference would exist is what we started hearing is some of our partners needed more help with marketing and specifically based on the details of their customer profile. So we built right within our console something called Autopilot. Autopilot is, think of it like a purpose-built marketing campaign around something. It could be a single product or a suite of products. And what we do is we use attributes for the partner's customers. And based on what's satisfied with those attributes, we narrow down the list of where that marketing campaign will Mm -hmm. go. So instead of a shotgun approach, I think everybody might want X, we say, all right, let's use the attributes of the customer and narrow down the messaging so that the partner can execute that uh, marketing campaign straight from within our console. And again, all of this is free to them. They don't pay for this. We're really just trying to make it easy for them to, to build a cloud practice. Is that marketing to their existing client base or could they actually do prospecting as well with that? They could do, they could do prospecting. Okay. A question for you, Ryan, when you mentioned the billing, and I th- think that integration sounds awesome and super helpful for the partners, but it got me thinking about incentive models. Your vendors, what is their model? Are they on all on a resale model or some on a commission model? Is it a blend? For the vendors or is it the partner with the vendor? Is that what you mean? Yeah, the vendors. What what is their incentive, their model to the to the partner? Well, it's twofold right now. And this is where and this is a great question because how we factor into this is a vendor recognizing that a channel partner owns the last mile to the customer is willing to give up margin, you know, a, a lower buy rate so that the partner can get paid for what they do, that a vendor doesn't have to. Because that concept, there was a time, and I've talked to a number of born in the cloud vendors who look at the channel and say, well, why do I need you? I'll just open up my own storefront, let customers come and buy from me directly. I know my product. Why do I need you? What they learned was it's scale and reach. That's why you need the channel. Well, what that means is there's a lot more channel people out there that could influence the purchase by a customer that they influence every day, a customer that calls up that channel partner and says, what do you think about this? Or I heard about that. What should I buy next? Well, that means that channel partner is influencing a sale, which means the vendor should give up some margin for that partner to do that. And if that if that partner is also providing support, well, then the vendor should give up margin for them to support the customer instead of hiring technicians on their own. So this is most common is that vendors will give a channel partner a reduced buy rate so they can make the margin for the things that they do, the, the MSP, and the, and the vendor doesn't have to. And they put it, the MSP, the partner, can bill the customer on their own paper for all of the services. That's right. But typically, and this is where we come in, many partners, depending on where they are on their business building cycle, they could just be getting started. I just talked to someone now, he's working at a company, and he's starting his MSP on the side on his own time. Okay. And we hear that story a lot where somebody says, I'm trying to you know, get enough clients where I can break off and do my own thing. I might do it just on the weekends, but at some point they're going to get in the game. Well, the ability to build, you know, set up the infrastructure for them to do all of this, many of them don't have that. 
So that's where a PAX 8 comes in this, this ecosystem because vendors who will want the channel community to, to provide the selling and the billing and the supporting services that, that I mentioned. But if they can't, a vendor also likes to deal with somebody who can be an aggregator for them. And so PAX 8 interacts with a vendor. So now it's one bill between a vendor and a PAX 8 and PAX 8 supports the billing motion of thousands of partners. So the vendors like it because they don't have to send out thousands of bills. They just send, there's just one aggregate feed that goes to us. And PAX 8 uses automation to help partners who may not have the billing capability to do the billing. And if they have their tool that I mentioned earlier, they can use that. But if they don't, we have a bill on behalf of mechanisms to help there. Gotcha. And so now, now this works in a new way. If you, you, you know, when you ask about how does this cloud ecosystem working with a new event, a new distributor like PAX 8, this is where value add can happen because I'm helping a partner who may not have that recurring billing system built yet. So I can help them do that. I help a vendor who doesn't want to send out 2000 bills. They just want to send one to me. And so now everybody can win. Now when PAX 8 entering into this fold, if the vendor says, I want my partners to buy it at this rate, then I will support that and I will sell it at that. And that just is good for everybody. Because sometimes when you have a mix with, you know, pricing approach, it gets, it's not good for the channel. Like one person gets a better price than another one, you know, you'll find that out and if people don't like it and they might leave you for that. So when you have a partner like PAX8, that you can provide parity and let everybody win on their own merits. Um, so it, it works. Do you have any SaaS vendors who don't have that resale model? They want to just pay commissions, you know, more of the telco agent commission model. Don't. Don't have any the telco agent models right now. And although we're talking to some newer players who do have that model, you know, as you're looking at some of the UCAS, some of the telco services, they're structured like that. That is, you know, you, your article was awesome on this front. It does conflict with the pride of ownership that an MSP would have right. to own the bill. You own the bill, you own the account. If you don't own the bill, you're vulnerable. And we have a lot of MSPs who have this experience, not so much with that commission model, but with a vendor who served both the channel and direct and made a switch, yeah. decided, yeah, I wanted to go after the channel. Then I changed my mind. And then I started going direct to the customer. And if I were in a billing situation, I could do that. And now an MSP just got burned because their vendor bypassed them right. and they did it on, on the grounds of the bill. Or even if they didn't intend to, a customer got the bill from the vendor and says, well, why do I need my channel partner? I'm just going to go straight to the vendor. Yeah. Now, if there's not enough value add, that makes sense to, to do that. But it's more complex than that. So it's, the system is served when everybody understands what the channel role is. And so that's why I answered the question to you. I don't see it in SaaS and infrastructure as a service providers because they recognize the channel, the channel does own that last mile. Therefore, they want to, they, they already own the bill. It's not like, you know, they're, they would actually be contrary to a current method that a customer is used to. And so is the channel. Partner. Yeah, exactly. What is your partner mix? Is it all MSPs? Would you consider them MSPs? Yeah, most well. What's interesting about it, I think they would all categorize themselves as MSPs, but really, what you see is a blend. Some people refer to it as a hybrid, where they've got a mix of services, a little bit of break fix, some pro services, managed services, and they might be somewhere on a a path 
to more managed services, but today it's a blend. It's, you know, it, it, it's a mix. I saw on your website, it showed that you had about 3,500 partners. Yeah, that's, that's now 6,500. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask, gonna is, is that up to date? We're going to have to update <laughs> <laughs> So you're at 6,500. And what's the average size of a partner? These tend to be the smaller shops that are serving the, the SMB or even the, the small size business? Well, it's a mix. You know, that, the large volume, I would say the bulk would be somewhere between one and 10 employees, yep. between two and five million in annual revenue. But then there's a grouping of, you know, 10 to 20, another grouping of 20 to 50. Now, when you're getting up to the, you know, 20 to 50 to 100, now you're, you're moving into a regional, multi-state or national MSP right. that's doing business all over the country. And what we're also seeing now is a ton of M&A work, you know, either because private equity is rolling up, you know, joining different firms and different geos, or you have some real savvy MSPs themselves who have decided to merge with others to create a bigger footprint and bring on new functional services and capabilities. So for example, somebody who might be a general network managed service provider is merging with somebody who's dedicated or specialized in security. Yeah. And now you have a very robust offer. Yeah, which is a great play for the, for the MSP. Absolutely. What is the profile of your most successful partners? Is there, is there any characteristics that you see of the ones that are just really killing it? Oh, yeah. The ones that are killing it, they've gone all in with regards to cloud-based products. And we cover this quite a bit, a lot of data around this that says if you have more, of your, more than 50% of your revenue is coming from a cloud-based product and the attached services, you have, and IDC ran this study with Microsoft, they have twice the revenue on average than those that are were less than 50%. They have 1.8 times the growth rate and they have 1.5 times the profit margin. So what does it mean? How do I process that? Well, I say, well, it's somebody who's like, man, I need to do more of this, but I haven't yet, or I don't have time, or I've got to phase out this line of business, my break fix business and move it to managed services. The most successful ones, and I will tell you, Rob, that some of them are seven-person shops. Others are 50-person shops. So size doesn't matter in this particular case. It's growth yeah. rate. The ones who basically said, I'm making the move. And so I'm shedding that one-time business model, and I'm going hard at the recurring business model. Those are the ones that are most successful because they recognize this, and I, I'm seeing this now more than ever, is there is absolutely an opportunity cost to not going faster. Because what we're seeing is there's a bunch that are going there faster and they are cherry picking those that haven't because they have a great offering. So now all of a sudden they show up and they say, well, you know, for, you know, X dollars per user per month, I can support all of this for you. It's just a real easy, convenient, simple model. And if they built up their expertise and their business systems to deliver it, man, they're winning and they're growing much faster. One of the things that caught my eye on your website, I noticed, was a service you offer to help your partners really build out a more niche, custom solution around the vendors that you represent. Yeah. And for me, I think that is the number one huge opportunity for these guys. And that's where the market's going is that niche vertical expertise. Are many of your partners taking you up on that offering? They are, but they need, to, they need some guidance. And, and it's, it's prompted us to start delivering some help there with what we're calling mission briefings. Okay. 
mission briefings, we go out into the field, we put together 30 to 60 partners and we're, they have asked us, could you show me? How do I do this? What would I do now or next? And so this is what we're focused on to build exactly what you're saying. So we're, we're actually, we're giving them more detail. We're, we're putting it in a forum where not only they can hear what we're suggesting, but they can talk to each other. And this is a real powerful thing that we're trying to tap into is, you know, the associations like ASCII that we recognize partners like talking to partners. So if we get in a room and we say, all right, we're suggesting that you do this. And if you're asking us, give us some examples, we're going to bring in some partners too and have them tell you what they did. In fact, I was at a, on a panel discussion that got a lot of great feedback. I actually didn't think I did well as a moderator. But the audience loved it because they're like, we really want to hear what our peers have to say about what they're doing. So it was really these mission briefings tap into the best of both worlds. One is we can give examples of what we see going well together because we have that view in the data across all these partners. So what products sort of bundle well with others or mix well, stack well with others. And then we have partners show up and say, well, this is what I did and this is what I did and here's why. With those two things, we think that's the way, that's the best way to get there fastest is learn from us because we get, we get to see the purchase transaction trends and then learn from the peers that have done it. And that's really surfaced some really cool techniques, best practice, real like on the front line type stuff. That is just so much fun. When I was at SAS, we launched an MSP program where we provided incentives and help for, for our partners to develop solutions around the analytics technology. And it it got so much attention and interest and developed some really fun, interesting applications that were very niche. Well, you know, it's like if you're into something, I don't know, you know, whatever, like I did like school. I like school and the topics that I really was into. So if I got to go into a classroom talking about stuff that I'm really into and have other people who are also into it share what they were learning, that was just fun. This is exactly like that. You know, you got a bunch of people MSPs trying to grow and build their business. They're grinding it out every day, but now they're in there with their peers and they're sharing things that are working. It's fun because they're like, oh, I never thought of that. Or that's a great idea. I'll try that. Or I tried something and it didn't work. I mean, there is as much sharing on, I tried this, thought it would be great and it didn't work. So don't do that. Watch out for that pothole. I mean, either way, it's a pretty cool environment. If you experience that, that's exactly what I'm seeing with our mission briefings is it's just fun because it's, it's this blend between, you know, somebody who might have a suggestion for you and then the practical reality of somebody who's saying, this is what I did in its implementation. That's very cool. Let's flip from the partner to the vendor side. So it looks like you have groupings of vendors in productivity, infrastructure, continuity, and security as your yep. core groupings. You mentioned looking at possible unified communications, UCAS. Are you looking mm-hmm. to get into new areas, maybe analytics, which is such a hot area, you know, new vendors popping up every day and in, in, with some type of AI solution? Absolutely. Yes, we are, is the answer to the question. So you can see with the, the core picks, productivity, infrastructure, continuity, and security, we did that to help partners find product areas of interest. Mm-hmm. And we just couldn't do that with a, you know, most people have a catalog and there's a, you know, there's just another example of how our catalog is different. Everyone else has a marketplace. When you have a marketplace, you have tag keywords, tags to find stuff. But 
what we found was the problem is you added more product, which we were doing, it became more difficult to find what you were looking yeah. for. Even if you were trying to find the right keyword or tag that you thought that it was, it was difficult. We structured picks because it's a visual representation of these broad categories, and then we break them down into subcategories that can expand. So if I have a, a, a category called security, and I expect email security, web security, endpoint security to be in there, but now I, I have room to put in a new category. And there's lots of new categories that are that are popping up. It allows us to expand, but not make it overly complex when we do. And so that's how we're approaching what's in that core product category set. But you just mentioned another one, and we're looking at you know new ways to expand into this recurring revenue business. You know, the network telco um, connectivity service is a great example of something that with UCAS and SD WAN. Seems like it's becoming a part of the conversation now. Mm -hmm. And so we want, we want to tackle that. So we're looking at that. Analytics just in general is just, you know, that area is so ripe, extreme interest in that. And we constantly are looking around at new technologies to see, is it ready for this channel community to embrace and add to their stack? You know, whether it's IoT or blockchain or different flavors of artificial intelligence, we're looking at all these things. I think that what drives it, coming into our mix is channel readiness, you know, and that could be the vendor, it could be the technology. In some cases, it could be the customer. So there is definitely a timing to when all those things that I just talked about will drop in, but they're, they've been in a part of the conversation now. And the telco part of that is real front and center. We just see that there's, there's an opportunity there. If somebody can help, you know, pull things together, if yeah. you will, allow different players to do what they do well and leverage the opportunity. If there's a vendor, let's say a SaaS vendor listening to this podcast and they're going, I love what I'm hearing. I think Pax8 could really help us. What would you be looking for? Do you have key criteria for a vendor to join your community? Yeah, I do. There's five in general okay. that we look for. You know, the first one is we really have to have a, it's got to be a high quality bet your reputation on type product. So we'll do an assessment to make sure that it's top notch, it's top rated because our partners say, I'm staking my reputation on this. So my customers rely upon me. I need to rely upon this, this product delivery as being top notch. So the product has to work well and the support has to be great. The second thing is good margin. Got to have good margin for the channel to embrace mm -hmm. it. And you know, most SaaS, you're talking about margins that are going to be around 20, 25 and up. So call it somewhere between 20 and 30%. If you're a vendor listening to this and you say, wow, I can't get up, give up that much. One, I would challenge that. But two, if you can't find it, then this may not you know, be a market for you. Infrastructure related services tend to be a little bit lower, like usually around 15% mm -hmm. tend to be larger in, in amount. So 15% of a larger number can be a good thing. Yeah. So you got to have margin. I actually, I should have said this first, which is really, there needs to be a commitment to the channel because the channel will assess new vendors as, you know, will you stay here? There's a lot of, there's a lot of enterprise oriented or born in the cloud vendors who come in and what you see is they're not sure whether they, well, they may not know the channel. So they're, they'll show up at the show and then they just show up at one show. Right. So the channel, having experienced this, they'll make sure that 
you got to show up two or three times before they trust that you're going to stay there. I bet you see, Ryan, too, the, the vendors that say, well, I don't need a channel in the U.S. I've got my direct team, but I, I just want a channel for international. Absolutely. Hear it all the time. And I tell you, you know, a lot of channel partners with their own expansion, looking at, you know, having a footprint in the U.S. and internationally, they would see that unfavorable. Sure. They would say, well, I don't want to compete with you. And so my advice is, you know, commit to a long-term view about the channel if you're thinking about getting into it. And if you do and they trust you, it, it will be a very powerful play. Yeah. Somebody told me once, they gave me the 18-month rule. They basically said, it's going to take you 18 months to really get in. If you're not prepared for that, then, then you're not going to realize the benefits. But if you do, it'll rain. And I will tell you, this was somebody that we worked with at MX Logic, and we... MX Logic took two stabs at it. The first stab was unsuccessful. It was like a secondary, second-class citizen market. We went direct and then, oh yeah, for the SMB, we'll, we'll, we'll use the channel or in some cases use the channel. Yeah. And it never took off because we, we didn't build trust. That's just classic, Ryan. I've seen that so many times. Oh my goodness. And then, and then when we said, okay, the sales reps at MX Logic got comp more for going through the channel, changed everything. And that's what this guy was saying. He's like, commit to it. And, you know, for the first 18 months, it's like, are you sure? Is this really going to work? It looks like everybody's just kicking the tires. They're ordering one account, one customer. But then before long, when the trust was established, then it started to grow. Yeah. And now when I go to channel events, because I came from and ran the product at MX Logic, I say, how many of you guys remember or heard of MX Logic? I still have half the room raising their hand. In a good way or a bad way? It's a good way. Good. It's a good way. They We had a real... We dedicated ourselves to the channel and, and we invested the way I'm, I'm suggesting and it's what I'm looking for. Uh, somebody doesn't have to be in it that long. They just have to say, I am committed to it. I'm staying. Yeah. This is a part of our core go-to-market, not a secondary go-to-market. And I, I have to check that box because all of our channel partners are leaning on us, trusting us to do that. All right. What's number four? Yeah. So number four is automation. You got to be able to automatically provision or turn on the products that are going to be delivered over the cloud. I, I think it's becoming less and less that I see vendors that don't have APIs to turn on products or to bill automatically, but you have to have it. A great example of that is on the, in the infrastructure category, you have services that can be ordered by the hour. Well, I am not going to key all that transaction detail into any system to bill it. I have to have an API that pulls in that usage billing data from the vendor, and I'm going to pass that through to the partner. And that has to happen quickly because everybody wants to get paid. If you don't have an API to do that, you are not going to succeed in this market. All right, cool. Number five? Five is the most important. Five is the commitment to what Pax8 is doing. And what I mean by that is we're on a mission to redefine how distribution works in the cloud. And so we don't consider ourselves like any other distributor. So when somebody shows up and says, well, yeah, I'm already working with distribution. I need another one. They typically aren't the ones that I'm signing because they're going to be unhappy with what we're going to demand. I think they would be very happy with our results, but it's a different model. It requires a lot more engagement and belief that there is room for value add for a distributor and they need to participate with me to deliver it. An example of that is how we work together. You know, we're constantly looking to interact with our vendors on a regular basis to find out what's working. How do we make it go better? How do we 
take their their product into the market faster the way the market the uh, channel wants it and so i need somebody who's willing to do that if somebody thinks it's just you'll turn me on i'll do all the work and you don't have to do anything well that's not a good partner for me i don't want to sign somebody like that i want somebody who wants to crush it and but is looking to engage with a very focused distributor so and that's the most successful vendors are the ones that are that check that box and they don't get in unless they check that box well, Ryan, I have a ton of other questions I'd love to ask you. We might have to have you on again because I come from a distribution world and, and it, it fascinates me and I know what it takes to be successful. It's not easy in your world. Yeah. And I'd love to hear a little bit more and we could talk later and perhaps another time about what it takes to be successful through Pax8, you know, from a vendor perspective. I'd love to, I'd love to follow up with that because there's a lot of, you know, as a, and I believe this in my core, we're, we're living with, and handling a disruptive technology in cloud. To embrace that as a newer player, you have to be willing to learn. So there's a lot of there's a lot of learning in scar tissue, and we tried this and it didn't yeah. work. You know, it's kind of the underbelly of the, you know, we feel like we've got a really good cadence right now, but there was a lot of swimming in the mud, trying to figure it out, not knowing what to do. And so we're constantly learning, constantly learning. And I I like that because it I, I feel like anytime we learn something, it gives us a competitive advantage, even if for a few months. But this industry is moving and changing so much. If you're not wired to learn and, and pivot fast, then uh, you, know, you won't be able to survive. And we really embrace that. Well, that's a common theme, I would say, Ryan, of all the guests that I've had on my podcast. It's that never-ending curiosity. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's just something we all share in this industry. And I think you know, being in the technology space is, is interesting on its own, but then add the channel element to it. And it just exponentially interesting and, and challenging. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking this, you know, at this event, because if you come and talk to, if somebody comes and talk to us in the booth, if somebody says, well, I'm not happy with this, we are not, we, or, or this was okay. We are going to have that question, even for our partners of ours, like, well, why, what happened? What could we do better? What, what did you expect? You know, and there's just gems out there if you're asking, but if you're not asking, or if you're a partner and you're talking to somebody who's not asking what could be better then you know, in these days, you almost have to get a little worried because it's just changing so much. You really need to make sure you're not missing out on what you need to do that you didn't know uh, because something changed. So I I really embrace what you're saying there and then respect it. So Ryan, let's jump a little bit to your personal side and your channel journey. I I saw that you were actually a consultant for Deloitte way back in the day. You went into product marketing. You've, you had an interesting career path to get you where to chief channel officer today. Yes. What was there? Was it just luck or was there anything kind of guiding your path? My path was influenced by my brothers and sisters and my my position in the family. Oh yeah. What, where are you positioned? I was born to do what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) So I have, there are five siblings or five of us. I've got one older brother and I got three younger sisters. Okay. So for my entire life, I've been that translator, somebody who's in the middle, who's working with the other side, keeping peace, doing things together. And so that's my persona. And I found that what I like, so I got into consulting, you know, listening to what a customer wants. And then typically with our consulting practice, there was technology used to enable right. the business. 
And so I would go listen to a business need and turn around to maybe an engineer or, you know, a technology and try and join the two together. And I, I realized along the way that I really liked doing that. And so my journey, the fact that at least in my role now as the chief channel officer, what I do is I have the team that helps select, launch and manage the products on our line card. And for me to be able to find them, vet them, I have to listen to the partners to find out what products I should be looking at and why they like them. And then I have to go talk to vendors and figure out what they're doing and why they would want to partner with us or encourage them to partner with us. And so to do that requires that I have to understand the technology enough, but really all of it's geared towards solving a business problem. And I really like to live in that joint, yeah. in that in that space where I know enough technology to keep me dangerous, but I point that technology at understanding a business outcome, which is why, you know, with what's happening with the MSPs now, with a line of business buyer being the one making tech decisions, I feel like it's just coming home to me because I live yeah. there. I love technology to solve a problem, but I really am interested in that business problem. So if I can figure out what they're trying to do, then it's you can be more effective at, at solving it with the with the tech. And I think that I have just been wired this way. So I was I was born to to do this. That's awesome. And you had the good fortune of coming across John Street and and yes. working with him on on not one but two startups now, right? That's right. Yeah. We we met with at MX Logic. I ran the product over there with him and just had a lot of mutual respect. And that was a fun ride that, you know, we we grew that, you know, we had over 50,000 businesses on that platform when we sold it to McAfee. We had over 3,000 partners, which is kind of crazy because I joined them in 2005. We sold to McAfee in 2009. So that's about four years, got to about 3,000 partners. You know, Pax8, we started in 2012. It took us about a good 18, 24 months to get everything in place, you know, sign, build a platform, sign a few vendors, get our processes built. Yeah. So I would say, you know, really 2014 to now five years and we've got 6,500 partners. I'm really proud of that. Yeah, that's great. That's a fantastic accomplishment. And you guys are obviously on a, on a great growth trajectory. Yeah, it's been, it's been really fun. Scary. I mean, we, I, I feel like uh, our analogy is like if we were climbing Everest, which I've never done, it's like, okay, we're at, you know, base camp 37. Let's take a breath. Let's have a a good dinner, and then we're going to start climbing tomorrow morning. <laughs> Oxygen's getting a little thin. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That guy sounds stupid right now. I wonder what's going on over there. Well, uh, speaking of climbing Everest, I hear you like to snowshoe. I do like to snowshoe. It, this is my new thing right now. Is this your, your number one passion outside of living the dream at PAX 8? Well, you know, I really like to be outdoors, I find, because there's a madness. My wife kind of makes fun of me because... She gets worried, but I'm like, it really energizes me to be in what we're doing because, you know, startups are fun just because you don't know all the rules, but you feel like you can influence things. And I think most people at PAX 8 love to hear that because we kind of live it. It's like, oh, we've never done this before. All right, well, let's go build it while it's in the air. Let's do this. But to balance that for me is I, I love Colorado. And so I really like to be outdoors. And I've always liked hiking, especially around streams and yeah. rivers just to kind of get to a place of peace. And, but I've been in Colorado for a long time and I was, I've been a big snowboarder, but I tore my Achilles tendon twice, my left and my right. And so I was like, okay, I need to do something else in the winter to, to while well, I was healing. And I got into snowshoeing 
and it was the piece behind it was just truly amazing. And then you just had less crowds because people don't like to do that. So yeah, I highly recommend it. It is a lot of fun. I don't know if you know, I, I went to school in Golden, Colorado. Oh, you did? Wait a minute. Did you, did you go to Mines? I did. Yeah. And it, Mines wasn't nearly as much fun as it is today. It's, it's, it, was a, it was a pretty rugged school back then. But my roommate, Brian, his parents lived in Evergreen. And we'd escape on the weekends and go up there and go snowshoeing and cross-country skiing. I loved it. Boy, that campus is just what a, what a great place where it's nestled. And I just read something. You probably came across this being alum, but there was some test that rated mine's student as like the, some of the smartest out of any campus. And it was like it specifically said they're smarter than anybody at Harvard. And I just thought, hell yeah, mine. <laughs> well, it's it's a little known school, you know, just a couple thousand students, but it's it's quite a powerhouse. It is a powerhouse. It's a great school. Well, excellent, Ryan. Great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Learned a lot about Pax8. I hope our listeners did too. If they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? You can go to Pax8.com and any way in there and you can get our main number, call me or just come in. Anybody will talk to you about what we're doing. We're We're excited to do what we're doing and give us a shot. Excellent, Ryan. Thanks again. Look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks so much, Rob. I enjoyed it. All right. Cheers. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. A really interesting conversation. Thanks again to Ryan for sharing how Pax8 is solving a real business problem that both vendors and cloud partners face in selling cloud and software as a service. One of Ryan's comments that I found really interesting is the five things that he looks for in a vendor. He mentioned a high quality proven solution a great margin for the partners, a commitment to the channel, automated provisioning, and a commitment to the PAX 8 mission. You can find more takeaways from this episode, show notes, and resource links. They're all on my website. For this episode, that's at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ22. And if you haven't already, go to channeljourneys.com and subscribe. You'll get notified of every new episode, and you don't want to miss one. Next week, I have an awesome guest who I also happened to meet out in Vegas at the Channel Partners event. Her name is Karen Fields. She is the CEO of the master agent Microcorp. And we talk a lot about the role of the master agent, how that's evolving. It's a great episode. You don't want to miss it. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, Please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.